if, if you're not failing, then you're really not pushing yourself far enough. Like if you have never failed, <laughs> then you are not raising your hand enough or taking big enough swings. So that's, um, I would say, kind of a foundation to to kind of my mindset and what it means to raise your hand, grow, get outside your comfort zone and whatnot. So, um, and there's definitely some key points in my career early on and still now that I would say, wow, like that was a really scary thing to do, but I did it. And like looking back on it, it was a pivotal moment in my career path. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We are a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Jessica Wicks, who works as a marketing director with Proprio, a medical technology company based out of Seattle. Welcome Jessica, it's great to have you. Thanks, happy to be here, happy to talk today. Great. To, to get us started, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and also a bit about Proprio? Yeah, um, I'll try to condense that in a, a quick couple couple minutes. But um, so I, you know, going way back, I'm actually from Oklahoma of all places. Um, grew up in Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma State University and um, you know, the, the natural thing to do after graduating from OSU in Stillwater, Oklahoma, was to move to Beijing, China. Uh, so as I lived there, yeah, <laughs> as anyone would. Um, lived there for about four years. Worked for a couple different companies um, in marketing, and then pivoted back to the U.S. Got my MBA at Emory University. Was recruited by a big med device company into a leadership development program in a marketing role. Uh, was there for about six years, and then was recruited by Proprio to join uh, what we're doing here. And it's an exciting time to be a part of the company. Um, so just a little bit about Proprio. Um, we are a med tech, I say startup, but uh, I would say we've, we've kind of exited the startup phase, um, but we are based in Seattle. Um, we are a, an advanced navigation company, particularly for spine surgery right now. Eventually, we'll evolve into other verticals, if you will. And recently, we just submitted to the FDA. So super exciting time as a marketer, um, waiting for that FDA approval around the corner, fingers crossed. Yeah, that is uh, that is exciting. We we spoke to somebody on our podcast a, a while ago who was also in a sort of a similar area, medical device, and and she talked a lot about how 
Um, when they started their company, they were trying to get their FDA approval at a time when the FDA was very focused on COVID shots and on COVID protocols and on you know COVID screening and all of those things. And so the FDA uh, process is a process, and it was like an even bigger process because of the layer of complexity of of COVID and sort of of, of heightened awareness around what the FDA does for the world. And so I'm sure that sort of at the tail end, um, you'll still be experiencing a slightly different process of FDA approval than than we would, you know, even five years ago or something. So you're right, an exciting time and also probably a time for a little bit of patience. Yes, a lot of patience. And, you know, to that point, you know, the FDA process, um, but even just this last couple of years, you know, I just joined the company a year ago, um, but even at the point of joining, how teams were collaborating was very different than it right. was three years ago, right? Particularly in a um, space that we're in where it's highly collaborative engineers, you know, have an actual physical product that also has a very um, complex software component to it. So the way that we've had to approach collaborating as everyone else in the world too, you know, shifted um, as well. So yeah, it's been an interesting time to transition into um, a startup and, you know, going through all the transitions that everyone has had to go to with with uh, COVID. Yeah, of course. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about, so this industry that you're in, you're, you're of course working in this kind of startup scale-up company. You had some experience at um, maybe more mature companies uh, in this area before that in, in, in the marketing role. And so you've seen kind of, you know, different stages of companies and the different players and the level of collaboration. Can you tell me what it's like to be a female in, in what I think is pretty traditionally a male-dominated uh, area? And, and what's, what's that What's that been like for you? Yeah, I feel like I feel like at this point it's the new norm for me, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, when you grow up as a, a little girl, you don't really I feel like have those um, I don't want to say biases, but the, those different barriers up against you growing up, you're not aware of them, and then you you go to college and then you graduate and you work into the workforce and you're like, oh wow, okay, so there is a disadvantage here. <laughs> Um, in any case, I don't think there's any industry that's immune to that. Um, yep. But in med device in particular, you know, when I, you know, being a marketer, highly engaged with customers and kind of external facing um, engagements, you know, I, I'll walk into a conference and 80 plus percent of the participants there are, are male. And yep. um, that can be really intimidating. Um, particularly, you know, coming right after, out of undergrad or, you know, still building your, your confidence as an individual, um, particularly a female, that can just be a very intimidating environment. So I very early on um, kind of learned some tips and tricks, if you will, on in order to kind of maintain my own, speak up loudly, make sure that I'm introduced as well in the circle of all the guys, um, all those things, um, kind of a crash course, if you will. But um, yeah, I would say med device in particular, particularly on the ortho side, being in spine is, is definitely male dominated. And you know, there's some disadvantages to that, but then you, you find ways to make those your advantages in some ways. So. And have you have you been able to see you know a, a shift as new you know new players come or new employees join? Are you able to open doors for them in ways that might not have been opened for you when you first started in in that role? Like 
you know, from that female lens? Is that something that we're able to to pass down to the next generation? Yeah, I think, you know, I would say inorganically more than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I entered this space, you know, I immediately kind of gravitated towards some female mentors in the organization that I wasn't was before um, yep. and just seeing how they navigated. Um, meetings or conferences or customer engagements, whatever it may be, uh, but being able to kind of have those inorganic opportunities by way of making sure you're surrounding yourself with yourself with other strong women, right. you end up kind of being able to fold in that confidence and understanding of how you can navigate different situations and making sure that you're being heard um, and whatnot. So I wouldn't say that there were a ton of intentional things that I did early on other than surrounding myself by other strong leaders that I identified to learn from along the way. Right. But now, but now that you have identified that, you can build that into your form of leadership and you can build that into, as you say, it, it, it's all been very unintentional or sort of inorganic. Um, but as a leader, when you become more and more senior and you start mentoring other people, are there, is that something that you're consciously thinking about building into your leadership style and your vision? Tell me a little bit more about, I guess, your leadership style and your vision and how that might play into it. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, kind of the point of kind of telling the story of, you know, initially you don't know what you don't know other Correct. than like, I want to be like her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I don't yeah. want to be like that. Yeah, or I don't want to be like that. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of things that I do are, are intentional. So, you know, just a, a very simple example. When I first joined Proprio, I, I started a, a women's connect group. Um, oh, we didn't have any other ERGs in the, in the company. And I felt like I had the organization that I was at before, I had held a leadership role in a kind of a similar ERG that was, you know, um, centric around, you know, bringing females together and talking about um, particular topics or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, that that's one thing that I learned early on from some of my mentors is making sure that you have those kind of um, groups that you can yep. kind of lean into. Um, and, and have those conversations that you may not want to have if you had male counterparts in the room as well or something that you're trying to navigate feel that it's you know specific to being a female so um that's definitely one thing that i intentionally do is make sure that i try to be seen as an outlet if you will right. by creating a group like that or engaging with um you know more green employees females making sure we're having those coffee chats at a regular cadence um, and whatnot, but creating that environment that we all feel like in the organization, we can reach out to each other and um, gain support. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your, you know, throughout your career, you've talked now about, about sort of the uh, intentionality of of identifying opportunities and putting your hand up and you know saying yes to different opportunities and and how that might take some people outside of their comfort zone. Can you talk about your past 
um, and how you have identified opportunities for you and how that might have led you to where you are or might have led you on a different path or how that's really kind of set you up. And the reason why I'm asking is that I work primarily with with women entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling their companies. And one of the things that they often identify is that there's this this obstacle or this fear that they have um, where they want to get to a certain point or they they have a, a pathway in mind and they they kind of say, well, I don't know if I should do that and I'm not sure. And I don't know how I'm going to balance this. And sometimes they risk it all and they put their hand up and they say yes and it works out great and, and sometimes it doesn't. And so I'm just curious to hear about your experience and how you've gone about sort of um, you know, identifying the opportunities, taking the opportunities and, and what that's meant for your career path? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, and I feel like my response is probably going to be um, scary in the sense of that. I think in raising your hand, you have to be willing and knowing that there is a chance you could fail. Of course. You know, so if, if you're not failing, then you're really not pushing yourself far enough. Like if you have never failed, <laughs> then you are not raising your hand enough or taking big enough swings. So that's, um, I would say, kind of a foundation to to kind of my mindset and what it means to raise your hand, grow, get outside your comfort zone and whatnot. And there's definitely some key points in my career early on and still now that I would say wow, like that was a really scary thing to do, but I did it. And like looking back on it, it was a pivotal moment in my career path. You know, China is a great example of that. Um, One of my professors in undergrad, you know, I remember him, I forget which lecture it was, but you know, in summary said something along along the lines of do things that make you different. Like just differentiate yourself. It's such a competitive environment out there, especially as an undergrad going into the workforce, like if you're going to do anything, like do something that's going to develop yourself to be differentiated from the next person. Um, and I had an opportunity to, to move to China. I didn't know anyone and I took it. I had never been out of the country before and uh, it was the best decision I ever made. I learned how to be independent. I learned new perspective and I really learned a lot about myself in those four years, both professionally and personally, but that was a very scary thing to do from, especially someone from a fairly small town in Oklahoma. So China, moving to China was a really great example of, of taking that risk um, mm-hmm. and staying there for four years. And, you know, it, it really carved the way for, you know, a series of things that happened after that. And when you left, did you know, did you intend to stay for four years or did you just sort of intend to dip your toe in the water and then reassess as you went? I didn't know if I'd stay for four years, but I wanted to stay for a couple years. Okay. So, um, I mean, I packed one bag. I found a, a roommate online. I think the the Beijinger.com or something was the uh, <laughs> online magazine where they had um, roommates, people looking for roommates. So I found a, a local roommate. I think I paid a hundred dollars a month for a room. Um, huh? sent her a picture of me so she could find me at the airport when I landed and um yeah that's how it how it all started moving to to Beijing so that is a you know that's an adventure for sure and it's certainly something that uh 
is outside of a lot of people's comfort zones, language, culture, you know, how, how business is done, being on your own, all of those things are, are really uh, kind of getting thrown into the deep end and, and uh, seeing, seeing where that will go. What, what did that teach you, you know, because you took that risk and, and it turned out okay and you stayed for four years and it opened up a bunch of doors. What, looking in hindsight, what does that teach you about sort of the, the importance of setting some goals uh, around, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone, both professionally or personally? And is that something that, you know, from that experience and, and from that time, that you've moved forward to say, okay, I'm going to set a goal to, you know, try something new or to take a new initiative or to do something like that because of the importance of, of what that China experience did. Yeah. Um, you know, I've actually never thought about this before, but the, the immediate thing that came to my brain as you're asking that question is it was probably the first point in time that I really experienced like mental endurance yeah. Um, if you've ever moved to another country, like, you know, it's not like all rainbows and butterflies the right. moment you get there. And for the next year or two years, I mean, culture shock is a real thing. I mean, I think they've done a ton of research on that and the, the waves that that all um, includes. But um, I definitely started to kind of build my mental endurance in terms of you're not going to get you know, just because it's maybe sucks for a couple of weeks. You don't know anyone. Don't pack your bags and go home. Um, have, you know, faith in kind of the decision that you made, why you made it and, um, really focus on sticking it out and finding ways to make sure that you're kind of getting to the point that you want it to be, which is really integrating into the culture, making friends, making the impact at work. So, um, yeah, I would say China taught me, you know, in addition, kind of the independence and confidence piece, but really started to lay the foundation of really what it meant what it means to have mental endurance and setting those kind of micro goals to really kind of get to what your ultimate goal is, which is for me to, to really be there for a fairly long time to be able to start learning the language and integrate and understand the culture, both in, you know, day to day, but also business. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And now, now when you look at your current role and sort of the, you know, the, the development of the, of the leader in you and, and your current role at uh, Proprio, how has, has that mental endurance, that resilience, that sort of, you know, integration into a project, integration into a culture, how has that shaped your view on how you, you know, show up and how you kind of work day to day in your current job? Yeah, I mean... There's, I had a, a friend that transitioned to a startup um, a couple years before I did. And once I joined Proprio, we, you know, kind of exchanged notes, if you will. I'm just like, wow, this is such a transition from big company to startup. Yeah. And um, one of those transitions, um, how he, I thought, articulated it well was, you know, you trade in politics for growing pains. Yep. Um, and I think he's absolutely right in that I think particularly with an organization that's still establishing and identifying new processes that need to be made, there's these growing pains that come along with it. And someone that has been in a organization where those are not part of the day-to-day, -day, growing pains day after day at times can be a mental oh, yeah. endurance. You're just yep. like, oh man. <laughs> When am yeah, I going to stop I learning? Yes. Like, when will I, I know gonna, something? Yeah. When am I going to stop problem solving? Like, um, but that's, I mean, honestly, the, the 
reason why I gravitated towards a startup was I, I love being in that kind of white space, figure it out, problem solving, but it is a kind of a constant thing. I right. think that's just part of being in this state that we are. And I think you do have to have some level of understanding or desire to want to build that mental endurance because timelines aren't going to be as tight and efficient as it is to the well-oiled machine sure. and you're going to have delays or something's not going to go your way and you just need to be able to almost say roll the punches but just have faith that that's part of the process and it's an opportunity for you selfishly to learn from that and kind of put that in your um uh tool belt if you will and kind of endure that uh experience of you know getting through establishing those new processes and figuring it out day to day. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's one of the, you know, the the biggest skill sets for entrepreneurs generically and I think it applies in a number of different places is having that a, a very robust tool belt of different skills, different, you know, different tactics to try when uh, something doesn't go your way. And I feel like it, you know, the quintessential entrepreneurs problem is that they they're firefighters. They're constantly putting out the next fire. Uh, and it's they're building something that hasn't hasn't ever really been built. And so inherent in that uncertainty is a whole bunch of growing pains, as you say, and a whole bunch of opportunities to learn patience and to learn to trust the process because it is definitely a process. And I think that in, in fairness, I think that that does come up in bigger companies that are trying to be innovative as well. I think that is a, a characteristic of, of innovation, not not exclusively at the startup phase. We see it much more commonly, but I do think it is a, a trade of innovation, not so much the, the, the size of the company necessarily. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Um, so if we are going to, you know, give some some words of wisdom to our listeners for women who are thinking about entering the tech industry. So not necessarily the medical device, but but maybe I think it would include that in the tech industry generally. What do you think? So we've talked about some resilience. We've talked about some problem solving skills. What kinds of things do women trying to enter this tech space need specifically in order to be able to be successful? What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, so pro probably a, a bucket of things, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, tell me what's in the bucket. Yeah, but one thing I think I didn't learn until a little later on was this idea of being selfish um, and needing to make sure that you can clearly communicate what you want, what you need and what you feel like you deserve um, yeah. as a you know contributor to a team or an organization. I think women and I particularly me at one point and I still struggle with this sometimes, but I almost feel like there's times when I look back at my career where you know I'm, I'm saying sorry too much or I feel like I shouldn't, ask for that raise or promotion because like I just need to work harder and I'll, it'll eventually just come to me. Right. Um, and I think um, I probably didn't until later really learn that I'm like, well, I should just assume that the person on the other side knows what I'm thinking and that I'm expecting something in return. And then I right. need to make sure that I'm really kind of, I don't want to say demanding that, but make sure that there's 
those clear conversations that are happening along your kind of career path or trajectory within an organization and that your goals are, are transparent with not only your leader, but some of those other supporters, um, auxiliary supporters in the organization. So they know what, what your goals are and they can help support in different ways, right? right to make sure that you achieve those goals. So um, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things is um, making sure that you are uh, being selfish and I think that's a hard thing for, for people to do. Um, I'm not saying don't be a good teammate or something, no, but no. I yeah. think it's, there's a good dose of needing to be selfish and making sure you acknowledge and communicate some of those needs that, that you may have or, um, and I don't know, and I don't know that it's always selfish. I think that maybe as as women, we we feel like we're being selfish when we're articulating, you know, our our pathway when we're articulating our priorities. And I think I think your point about don't just assume that whoever you're having the conversation with knows that. I think it's more about, you know, less about thinking selfishly, but more about thinking about the articulation of, you know, without assumptions and and breaking down those those barriers so that you can have a very free flowing two way conversation so that your needs can get met. So maybe that is the, you know, the selfish part of it, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I would say that's something that I learned later on. So are there any, is there anything else that, um, you know, sort of beyond the, the thinking about yourself, taking care of yourself, are there any other sort of tools in that toolkit? We've talked a lot about a number of them, but are there, is there anything else that, uh, you would, yeah, I can't, I can't emphasize enough the taking the risks and getting outside your comfort zone. Um, and that's something that I just, I think is part of my DNA. Just when I look back, just as yeah. a young child, even in the things that I did up to this point, but, um, you know, just thinking about, and I've only been at ProGrew for a year, so, um, and I've worn multiple hats at this point. So I feel like I naturally end up getting into outside right. my comfort zone. Um, but the organization that I was with before, you know, I was in five distinctly different roles over six years. And, you know, the first couple roles were me intentionally raising my hand and wanting to take that opportunity. And then, you know, kind of over time as leaders saw that, you know, I started to actually get tapped and people proactively coming to me because I kind of built that brand of like, you know, Jessica is someone that's want and wants and willing to take risks. She does well in kind of this, you know, new environments, um, problem solving, et cetera. But I feel like if you want those opportunities, it first takes you kind of raising your hand to go after them. And then over time, it becomes kind of easier, if you will, if, if you do like those type of um, projects or roles you start to kind of build this kind of brand around yourself right. where you'll naturally have leaders um, that kind of hold you at a certain ideal, if you will. Um, if they need to put someone on a project, they'll, you know, come to you and ask yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Rather than you just knocking on the door, like, please let me do this. Right. Um, but that takes a little bit, it can take a little bit of time to, if you yep. want that to be you to be seen as, as someone that takes risks and willing to take on new challenges. Yeah, no, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, that's something that is uh, for for many people. It is outside of their comfort zone, and it's not intuitive to say, "Yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this." And you know, there's lots of uncertainty because you might fail. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, you don't know if you're going to like it. Um, and of course, it sets up the the opportunity for for that in the future. But I think it is a really great way for 
people to, you know, sort of test the waters and, um, you know, take take on opportunities and so much growth and so much challenge that uh, that comes with that. So I think those are those are some great um, opportunities. What, assuming that the FDA um, responds in a in a great way, what's next for Propri- Proprio? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I'm confident that we will get FDA approval. Hopefully Good. Sooner than later. Um, you know, we're, we've built a very complex product, um, and so our first phase is you know really identifying um, hospitals and surgeons that are. Um, going to be, you know, first users of the system, our MVP yep. product, if you will, um, and we'll continue to iterate on that um, and implement more and more innovative features. You know, the the technology itself really um, has some what we'd like to call unfair advantages to other competitors in the market, to where we are going to be able to be very differentiated and, and arguably kind of create a new um, category, if you will. Um, in the space of enabling technology for, for surgery. That's very exciting and something to look forward to. Where can our listeners find out more about Proprio? Yeah, so we are very active on LinkedIn and Twitter um, and our website at proprio.vision.com has all of our handles and whatnot there. Um, so yeah, website and LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, we have a great mar- marketing communications manager that um, make sure that everyone's aware of everything that we're doing, where we're going, and you know, kind of key updates along the way. So, well, great. We'll be sure to to check that out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciated the conversation. Great. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.